So here we go. You ready this morning? Yes. Open up to Psalm 37. We'll look at verses 1 through 11. And we're arriving now. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had our first visit to our Word. Now we have our second. And as always, it's very timely. Now I mentioned on Wednesday night, we had an absolutely incredible praise night Wednesday night. It was just powerful, a wonderful time of exalting the name of the Lord in song. And I mentioned on Wednesday night that we as a staff have been talking about church corporate and how it has changed because of the pandemic and different elements that are going to be a bit uh, unique moving forward and exactly what the future looks like for the church. And we made the point that in a time of deception, like now, a time of distraction, a time of delusion, it is easy for us to have our thoughts drawn to and become dominated by all the evil that is seemingly going unchecked in the world around us. Now we launched into Praise Night with this reminder, and I mentioned how it parallels our verses today. In Psalm 9, 1 through 6, King David wrote this, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. God is for us. Amen. Amen. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. Now listen, the best way for us to make our way through these perilous times until the... I was picking up on the idea during worship that you guys are excited about Jesus coming to get us. And until he does... The best way for us to make it through is to do what David tells us to do here, to praise the Lord yeah. and tell of all his marvelous works, which will have the end result of keeping us glad and rejoicing in him. Now, we made the point on Wednesday that we need to talk of the amazing power and the goodness of our God, not just all the negative things going on in the world, because there's plenty of them. We need to talk about how awesome God is. We need to be talking about the wonderful things and powerful things He is doing. And this will help us to find that elusive rest for our souls in a time where good is called evil and evil is called good. Now our chapter is familiar because we visited this very chapter on New Year's Sunday, looking at the balance of what we'll look at this morning, uh, verse 12 and on. And our theme verse for 2020 actually is within our text this morning, so that will be familiar as well. Now, one thing we need to highlight concerning this chapter is what is mentioned in verse 25, and it will help us establish why this particular psalm is categorized as a wisdom psalm. Now, in verse 25, David wrote, I have been young and now am what? Old. Old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. That just tells us that God will be faithful to us all the days of our lives. Amen? Amen. Now these verses, therefore, are the voice of wisdom from a man who had had nearly every experience in life that someone could endure. Thinking back on David's life, he was handpicked by God to be the king over Israel. God dubbed him himself 
as the man after God's own heart. He was chased by the man he would replace for years, and his pursuer, King Saul, tried to kill him with a javelin at least three times that we know of. David was ratted out by a loyalist to Saul when he was hiding from him. He grievously erred personally multiple times in his life through his own fleshly decisions. He was betrayed by people he should have been able to trust, including by his own son. And eventually he was expelled from his own house and the throne was given to his rebellious son, at least temporarily. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And in the midst of all that, David now as an old man looks back and says, God is faithful. God will not abandon us. Now, that tells us that what David writes is not speculation, but rather it is proven truth that the Holy Spirit inspired him to record for our benefit. Romans tells us that the things that were written before were written for our learning, and we have things to learn this morning. Amen? Amen. Now, our word for the year is going to introduce another meaning as we recognized last month, Matthew eleven twenty eight. the word rest meant patient expectation in that particular context. Now, the Hebrew word we're going to uh, encounter this morning means to be astonished. It can also be translated to perish. We hear or read in the Old Testament, uh, Testament about people resting with their fathers or ancestors. It can mean to stay put. It can also mean to remain quiet. And we'll deal with some of these meanings as we go this morning. But as we did New Year's Sunday, we're going to use King David's hindsight as a means of foresight for you and I in making our way through times such as these. Now, any student of prophecy would call the time in which we now live a sign-rich environment. There are signs that Jesus is coming all around us. Amen? Amen. And he's coming soon, and the tribulation that ensues is not too far behind it, if not immediately. Now, I want to use a sign as our title this morning, but it's not a sign in the sense that you may be thinking as we make our journey through this bizarre season of the end of church history. Now, anybody ever been on a road trip? Any of you driven cross country or any portion of it? And the sign that I want to talk to you about today is not like the sign we all used to ask each other about in the 70s. Hey, what's your sign, man? It's not that kind of sign. But our sign is one that everybody on a road trip has seen. And our title this morning is just this, Rest Stop Ahead. Rest Stop Ahead. Now, like traveling across the country, we've been seeing signs for quite a while indicating the nearness of the Lord's return for His church. And that rest that we're all hoping to experience eventually someday is getting closer and closer and closer, even as we enjoy an immediate rest now from knowing the Lord. We might even go as far to say that the next sign that we encounter is going to say, rest stop, next exit. That's the next thing to happen, amen? amen. And Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, our title is, as always, kind of a play on words, because someday, when we enter into that promise rest, many of the things that make us restless are going to stop. And that day is not too far ahead. Now, the Lord told the weary and heavy laden to come to him, and he will give them rest that penetrates all the way down 
to their soul. I'm ready for some of that rest, aren't you? Yes. Now, let's see what we need to remember on the road of life as we're seeing more and more signs that indicate there is an eternal rest that is right around the corner, perhaps even at the next exit. Are you ready? Yes. Stand and read with me, please, the opening section of our verses for the day. We'll look at 1 through 11, starting with 1 through 4 of Psalm 37. Verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And Lord, we are thankful for this magnificent text. Thank you uh, for the voice of wisdom and experience that David will write and the Holy Spirit will speak through. And Lord, help us to glean lessons today that will help us make our way through uh, this difficult season and the perilous times prophesied by Paul that we now encounter and endure. Give us aid in that, we pray, and ears to hear it by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the timeliness of our text becomes apparent in the first three words, do not fret. Now, the word fret here in the Hebrew actually means to blaze up in anger. It can mean to burn with displeasure. It can mean to be incensed or even to be furious. It doesn't mean wring your hands and worry or be afraid of unknown outcomes like we would initially think. And fret is connected to the potential object of anger, displeasure, or fury by the idiomatic, idiomatic use of the phrase because of. And this links the cause of fret or potential fretting to evildoers and workers of iniquity. I don't know about you, but I've not been doing so good on some days about this not fretting thing with some of the evil going on in our world. How about you? Yeah. Evildoers and workers of iniquity have allowed anger and displeasure to occupy more of my thoughts than they have a right to. So we have to take control of these things and take our thoughts captive. Now, the counsel of the word is not like the sage wisdom we have all either heard or offered at some time or another. I'm sure we've all heard someone sharing their story of stress or what's creating anxiety, and then someone gives that wisdom, don't worry. <laughs> I never thought of that. Just don't <laughs> worry. But then they don't offer any device to connect it with to allow that to actually become possible. But here, the Holy Spirit gives a directive don't be angry, don't be displeased, don't be incensed or furious at the evil workers of iniquity. And then he attaches a device that will allow us to do so and our fleshly tendencies to lean in that direction that we'll talk about here in a moment. Now verse 8 will tell us that if we do not follow this divine directive, we've opened the door to spiritually harming ourselves, which obviously we don't want to do. Now, James gives us the wisdom in 3.16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So envy is not a positive attribute, right? Right? Okay. Now, we need to strike a balance here, I believe, because what is implied throughout the whole of Scripture is not that we're to be mindless and emotionless blobs of jello in life without any frustrations or aggravations. 
After all, Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge, and God is what? What's the next word? God is angry with the wicked, how often? Every day. And then Ephesians will tell us in 426 to 27, be what? Angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. The devil likes to exploit our aggravations and frustrations and anger. Amen? Now, God is angry at the wicked. Ephesians reminds us that we will be angry too at times, but not to allow the devil to exploit this and our anger to lead to sin. Now, the key to understanding the implied meaning in our verses is in Ephesians where we're told not to let the sun go down on our anger. And what that means that King David is telling us is that displeasure, anger, and fury are not to be the constant state in which we live our lives. Yes, we're going to get angry, but don't let it lead to sin. Keep short accounts, get angry, get frustrated when proper and necessary, but don't let that become a lifestyle. Then the Lord gives us the devices that allow us to do so. The first is this, remember the future of the wicked. The second is this, don't let them drive us off course from trusting in the Lord, doing good, and feeding on the fact that God is faithful. Now, that would include God is faithful when evil workers of iniquity are in places of political power. Amen. Come on, that needs more than that. Amen. Now, he says in verse 4, delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. Now, of course, we know that means he'll give us everything we want. <laughs> if that were true, there'd be a lot more Bentleys and Lamborghinis out in the parking lot. Amen. <laughs> now, the Hebrew word delight is interesting. It's the word anag. It means to be soft and pliable. It can mean to be luxurious or even pampered or to make merry over. And as I was reading the definition of this Hebrew word, I could hear Pastor Chuck saying, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. We need to be soft and pliable in times such as these. Amen? Amen. Now here's the point as we near the rest stop ahead. Listen, here's something to remember. As David points out through the contrast he displays of the eternal destinies of the righteous and the wicked. Listen, the prosperity of the wicked is, is temporary. Ours is eternal. Amen. The prosperity of the wicked is temporary. Ours is eternal. And the fact that David mentions envy implies that the workers of iniquity may have temporal prosperity that the righteous will not have during this life. Now, we've all had issues with people seemingly getting away with things, right? seemingly unpunished or unnoticed. And this isn't something that's exclusive to us. It's always been a struggle for people who believe God and have righteousness placed into their account, including the choir director for King David himself, a man named Asaph. He would write this in Psalm 73, 1 to 5, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of who? Wicked. Of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued with other or like other men. Now, Asaph says this, I understand the general truth that God, the God of Israel, is good. 
We understand the general truth that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And Asaph says, I get it, but I'm having a hard time with what the wicked get away with and even profit from. They seem to practice evil without confidence. But he didn't stop there, and we won't either. He said in 16 to 18 of Psalm 73, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. How many have been in pain over watching what's happening in our country? It's been painful for all of us. And then he said this, which mirrors what David said in our text. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I came to realize the prosperity of the wicked is temporary, but ours is eternal. Listen, there is a rest ahead for us that is eternal. And it is in a place and throughout all of eternity, there will be no more injustices or inequities of life because they're all going to stop. So we should not live in a constant state of anger, displeasure, and fury, but rather be soft and pliable like clay in the hands of the faithful potter. And we can do this by dwelling in the land and feeding on God's faithfulness, knowing he will give us new desires in our hearts. And that's what I believe this text actually means. It's not talking about if you dwell in the land and feed on God's faithfulness, he'll give you everything you want. He'll give you everything you ask for. It means that he's going to actually put desires in your heart because it's not our normal nature to want to live for uh, in self-denial, live for other people first, put God first. That's not what the flesh wants to do. The flesh likes to worship I, my, me, the almighty three. That's the flesh's desire. And therefore, because we dwell on the land, because we feed on God's faithfulness, he'll give us new desires, new pursuits. How many remember how radically their life changed when they came to know Christ as Savior and Lord? Things that you used to love to do, you began to despise. Things that you wish you could accomplish meant nothing anymore. That is God placing new desires in our hearts. And listen, during this season, we need to remember that the prosperity of the wicked is temporary, but our prosperity is eternal. Amen. I was going to wait for that. I knew it was coming. <laughs> so let's look at five through nine. Now, then David says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, the aforementioned. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as noonday. Rest in the Lord, here's our verse for the month, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the president who, I mean the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, David reminds us that not fretting because of evil workers of iniquity is going to require commitment. It's going to require commitment to who? To the Lord and trusting in him because then he'll bring it to pass. In other words, there is a rest stop ahead that we will be astonished by the majesty of when we arrive there. 
we're going to encounter the throne room of God. We're going to talk a little more about the heavenly scene as we have of late, uh, later in the message in the second hour. Now, <laughs> we've all taken the road trips, right? Yes. How many have ever passed by a rest stop because it was kind of sketchy? I don't know if I'm going to stop there. Well, listen, the rest stop we're headed for is not sketchy at all. It is glorious. And in verse 6, our last point is reiterated that someday the righteousness we have in Christ is going to be brought forth as the light, meaning truth and justice someday are ultimately going to prevail. And verse 7, where we encounter our word for the uh, year and for this uh, month's PowerPoint, we're told to rest and wait patiently for the Lord to bring those things to pass. How many wish patience was a spiritual gift? <laughs> Don't you wish God would just give it to you? It's learned behavior though, isn't it? Now, get this, I thought this was hilarious. In Hebrew, the word for patiently is chill. Now, it's probably pronounced Kiel, but it's chill for our purposes this morning. In other words, here's David's counsel. Rest in the Lord and chill. Now, here's another interesting factoid about that Hebrew word. It means to whirl or dance or even to twist. Do the twist. But, you know, it's the same word that can be used for writhing in pain. Now, what that means is that when we watch the wicked schemes prosper, we have a choice to either writhe in pain or chill with the Lord. I say we choose the latter, don't you? Amen. And again, we have a divine directive not to fret because of him who prospers and brings his wicked schemes to pass. He says, cease from anger, forsake wrath, which means to be enraged. Do not fret because it only causes, verse 8 says, it only causes what? only causes harm. Does it harm the one who's prospering in his wicked schemes? No. no. So who's it bring harm to? Brings harm to you and I. Now in Luke 12, 29 to 31, Luke's record of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, I was thinking about this and the things we're encountering today. And we live in a time where some people in places of power have so much money that they can violate the law without fear or consequence. They can bring their wicked schemes to pass against the righteous. And there are those who want to further their progressive agenda so badly they will approve of such measures, fully violating the very laws that they swore to uphold. It's easy to be angry right now. It's easy to be frustrated right now, but that's not the state in which we are to live our Christian life. Last week, Facebook suspended the page of a Christian scholar who disagreed with President Biden's transgender policy. Facebook claimed, now get this, Facebook claimed, and by the way, there's three and a half billion people on Facebook, so there's influence there, right? Yeah. Facebook claimed that the criticism of Biden's policy to allow biological men into women's restrooms and to allow biological males to participate in women's sports violated their community standards on, get this, violence 
and incitement. In other words, if you believe the Bible, or if you believe in science over this government-imposed ideology, you're inciting violence. If you think a biological male ought not to run in a women's track meet, you're inciting violence. If you don't believe a biological male ought to go into the women's restroom or the girls' locker room or shower room on any given campus in the country, you are inciting violence. It's easy for us to get angry over these things. Well, listen, we need to remember that people like Zuckerberg, lest he repent, has an eternal destiny that is not good. And we need to pray for the wicked. Amen? His temporary prosperity and the wicked schemes of big tech and a corrupt government must not cause us to fret because it only causes harm. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that our Father is aware of our basic needs and is our provider. He is our provider. Amen? Now, we may not have billions of dollars, Anybody here got that? If you do, let me show you where the offering box is because we, we got a sanctuary to build. We may not have billions of dollars, but listen, we're going to be in heaven forever where the streets are paved with gold. That's our eternal destiny. So listen, here's our point. Here's the second thing we need to keep in mind in these perilous times. In Christ, we have much to rejoice in and nothing to fear. In Christ, we have much to rejoice in and nothing to fear. You see, this is why we can rest in the Lord. This is how we can wait patiently for him and not fret with all the things that are upsetting that we're encountering in our day. Now, Revelation 22, 1 to 7. John says, And he, an angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Now listen, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I've been asked this question many times, even recently. What exactly does that mean? Why, if we're in heaven, do we need to be healed? Now, you remember what happened in the garden when uh, Eve was deceived and Adam knowingly sinned and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Was it that tree that God kept them from returning to? No, it was the tree of life that he set the angel to guard, lest they live in that constant and continual uh, fallen state. Now, therefore, many believe, I know Pastor Chuck used to teach this, that because the word healing is the Greek word that is the foundation for our word therapeutic, that there was something that kept our DNA processing and keeping us in an eternal living state that was on the tree of life, hence the name tree of life. There was something in the fruit that caused you to live forever. Now, is that absolute truth? Sure, why not? I, it could be. Now, there's something about the tree, again, that causes, it's not the healing of the nations in the sense that people are going to get to heaven and find themselves sick. It's something therapeutic that allows their DNA to continue and for them to live in an eternal state. And there shall be no more curse, Amen. but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign for three and a half weeks. <laughs> 
<clears throat> they shall reign how long? Forever. Forever and ever. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place, meaning to happen in quick succession. Then Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, I told you before, I'll mention it again. The word keep in the Greek is the word tereo. It means to guard from loss or injury. We have to keep intact the words of the prophecy of Revelation because they tell us so much about our future and what lie between now and then, including uh, Revelation 4.1, when John, a member of the church, is told, come up here. And he was immediately in the presence of the Lord. Now the pure water, uh, a river of the water of life has not been polluted. Amen. The tree of life has therapeutic properties. It has no rotten fruit. The curse of sin and its impact on the saints will someday be abolished. There's no night there. And in our future home, we're forever going to reign with the Lord. And this is going to shortly take place. In other words, there's a rest stop ahead. Now, Revelation 21, 23 to 27 adds this. The city had no need of the sun, as Revelation 22 recorded as well. Or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be, be by no means anything that defile, enter it, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, Jesus said in this life, we will have tribulation in John 16, 33. But he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that means, yes, the wicked may have temporary success with their schemes, but we're going to reign with Jesus forever. Amen. Yes, a spiritual and moral darkness has invaded our land, but there is no darkness where we're going and going to live forever. Yes, the wicked schemers and workers of iniquities are prosperous in their ways, but their prosperity is temporary. Ours is eternal. We'll be in this place we just read of forever and ever. Somebody say, evildoers will be cut off. That's a Hebraism for killed. But those who wait on the Lord will inherit the earth. Now remember, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, meaning by surprise or suddenly, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening, that simply means to hasten toward, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his what? Promise. Promise. Look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, Jesus said in John 14, at the night of the Good Supper, prior to his arrest, after his betrayal, and execution, and, and uh, uh, time in the tomb, and also his uh, resurrection and ascension, he said before all that happened, I am going to prepare a place for you. 
which is in heaven. And yet we just read, Peter said that there's also going to be a new earth as part of the eternal plan. Now, apparently, we're going to be able to travel from one to another. The Bible doesn't say anything beyond that other than those two places exist. And therefore, somehow the new earth is going to be one in which righteousness exclusively dwells. But we also know we'll have access to the Father's house. Either way, listen, I have heard so many people over the years say things like, you know, I don't want the rapture to happen today because I, I don't have a boyfriend or uh, I never got that car I wanted or I haven't gone on that dream vacation. Listen, when you get to heaven, you're going to say one thing and one thing only. Why did you leave us down there so long? <laughs> Nobody's going to be disappointed when they get there, right? Amen. And even including a new earth that's going to be glorious, it's going to be wonderful. In Christ, we have much to rejoice in and nothing to fear. We cannot be separated from his love. No one can snatch us from the Father's hand. And someday soon, we're going to the place Jesus has prepared for us so we can be where he is. And listen, the rest stop ahead is getting closer by the second. Amen. So don't fret. It only harms us us and besides where we're going none of the things that make us frustrated or angry are going to be allowed forever Amen. forever is a long time in case you miss that <laughs> now let's finish off with 10 and 11 for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more indeed you will look carefully for his place but it shall be no more but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Man, I like that phrase, don't you? Yeah. An abundance of peace sounds good right now. And rather interestingly, uh, the text talks about, uh, obviously, the, the peace that we're all familiar with, the shalom. And it means to be safe. It means to be well. It also implies health. It implies prosperity. And we will be delighted with health and prosperity and these things in abundance in eternity. Now, verse 10 needs to be examined carefully because its content and meaning is cataclysmic. It says, for yet a little while, meaning before too long, the wicked shall be no more. And even the memory of them will be wiped out. Psalm 34 reiterates the same truth in verse 16, where we're told the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the what? Remembrance. The remembrance of them from the earth. Revelation 22, 11 says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now, the face in Hebrew, when it's attached to God, it, it actually, the, the literal meaning of it is the part that turns, the, the, the focus or attention. Uh, the implication is it speaks of God's nature and character. And therefore, we can understand that it is within God's nature and character to wipe out the remembrance of evildoers from the earth. Now, the statement in Revelation 22 is something that's made after the great white throne judgment where the unbelieving dead answer to God for their sinful ways and actions and their rejection of the offer of salvation exclusively through Jesus Christ. 
and the destinies of the, the righteous and the wicked become eternal. That's what it means. Let him who is filthy be filthy still, continually filthy, eternally filthy. He was righteous, let him be righteous still, continually righteous, eternally righteous, same with holy. Now, I believe that in the new heavens and the new earth, the remembrance of those who do evil is going to be forgotten as God wipes away every tear from our eyes. This has been promised throughout the scripture. You'll find it in Isaiah 28, 8. You'll find it in Revelation 7, 17. And you'll also find it in Revelation 21, 4. God wiping away the tears. Now, I also believe it is possible that the memory of our unbelieving loved ones will be wiped away since all the things that cause tears will have passed away, meaning cease to exist. Now, it has been proposed, and I think it's valid. How could heaven be heaven knowing people you knew and loved are in hell? How could we enjoy the heavenly experience knowing people you prayed for, rejected God's offer of salvation, family members, or uh, people that you just had great relationships on earth that were close friends that you shared the Lord with and they continued to reject the plan of God? I believe it is possible, maybe even likely, that these will be part of the memories that God wipes away. Now, again, this is opinion. This isn't biblical substantiated fact, but I think there's some validity to it. Spurgeon said about the, uh, this about verse 11. The meek shall inherit the earth. Above all others, they shall enjoy life. Even if they suffer, their cons consolation shall overtop their tribulations. By inheriting the land is meant obtaining covenant privileges and the salvation of God. Such as are truly humble shall take their lot with the rest of the heirs of grace to whom all good things come by a sacred birthright. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Peace they love and peace they shall have. If they find not abundance of gold, if we're not rich, abundance of peace will serve their turn far better. Others find joy in strife, and thence arises their misery in due time. But peace leads on to peace. And the more a man loves it, the more it shall come to him. In the halcyon, or the time period of the latter days, when universal peace shall make glad the earth, the full prophetic meaning of words like these will be made plain, talking specifically about delighting ourselves in the abundance of peace as we inherit the earth. Now, here's our point. There's a rest stop ahead. Amen. Striving will cease, and this is a bit wordy, but it has to be, and here's our final and concluding point for the morning. Listen, our peace comes from who we know, not what we have or is happening in the world. Our peace comes from who we know, not what we have or is happening in the world. Now, the reason this is important is it reminds us that since we know God now, we can have peace in this mixed up, messed up world. We can have peace right now. Is anybody here this morning? Yes. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have moments of frustration or even anger or aggravation. It means that they won't be the constant in our lives. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing. Don't live in a constant state of anxiety. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the end result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Now, the fact that Paul mentions the guarding of the heart and mind means that our hearts and minds are going to come under attack and that they will be assaulted and the effort will be to cause that peace that passes understanding to be vacated on our part. Now, the phrase surpasses all understanding literally means above all intellect. It's a peace that isn't logical necessarily. It's a peace that we can have at any time. We can have peace when we should. We can have peace when others don't. Why? Because it's not our peace, it's his peace. It's the peace of God, which is above all intellect, that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And thus we need not live in anxiety, even in the midst of our awareness of the wicked evildoers and their plans temporarily coming to pass, because our peace comes from who we know, not what we have, or what is going on in the world. Now, I want you to think about this in light of our title. In the course of church history, it's been a 2,000 year long road trip, so to speak. And there were generations and generations and generations of saints in the church that never saw a single sign. They never saw one sign that said, rest stop ahead. Rest stop ahead 80 miles, rest stop ahead 50 miles. Now we don't know the day or the hour, right? right. But I want you to think about this. For millennia, nearly two, there was no nation of Israel. And therefore, there was no northern border of Israel for the coalition forces that will invade Israel to gather on like we have today. There was no way to control global commerce. There has never, ever, 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 did I say ever? There has never been a truly global empire. Even the great Pax Romana, the Roman Empire, it wasn't global. They never ruled China. China was its own thing all the way back then. There were portions of the world that were never uh, governed by any particular single source. There were world empires, so to speak, but it was just as far as their reach happened to be. Is it possible today for there to be a global empire? Yeah. A uniform system of governance that controls the whole world? Yes, absolutely. There was no way to have this in times past, but there is now. And listen, the signs reading Rest Stop Ahead began appearing on May 14th, 1948. And they've been popping up ever since. And we're getting closer and closer and closer. And I believe we can say with all confidence that the next sign says Rest Stop Ahead, next exit, be ready. Because it's coming soon, amen? amen? Now, it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And listen, just as during the worship time, when the songs about Jesus coming and the verses and words about his return and coming for us cause you to clap and shout and be filled with joy, uh, take that with you. Amen. Take that with you next time you hear something negative. Take that with you next time you see somebody in a place of political power do something that is heinous or completely the opposite of what God's word says. Listen, we're dealing with a lot today. We're dealing with more than any generation has ever had to deal with in church history, at least the church history here in the United States of America. There's been bizarre things, heinous things going on all around the world in other countries within the church and prior to the church age, uh, the history of Israel and all the other things we know that they dealt with. But this is new to us in the degree that we're experiencing it now. So therefore, we need to guard our heart and mind through Christ Jesus because we can have this peace because it's above the knowledge of things that are going on. 
And it will guard our hearts. It will guard our minds. It will protect us. And it's ours to have. And we're told that we can even have it in abundance. You can have peace right now. That's right. And, you know, it just doesn't come from just falling in line with all the aggravations and frustrations, even though we're quite aware of them, even though we need to stand against them. We're uh, just over 100,000 signatures away from recalling uh, a governor who is an enemy of the church, and I would say he's an enemy of America. Amen. And he needs to be recalled. And yeah, we need to sign on the line. We need to stand up for all these things. That's what we're here for. You know, I hear a lot of things, and this is our second sermon for the morning. I hear a lot of comments about Romans chapter 13 and the fact that God has placed people in places of authority and therefore people interpret that to mean that everybody in a place of power has been put there by God. Listen, I, I, you know, I saw somebody on social media ask the question, why did God uh, have Joe Biden be president? Listen, Joe Biden's president because people voted for him. Maybe some dead people voted for him and uh, other people voted more than once for him. You know, but that's all on the side. That, that's not really the issue that we're talking about. The fact is, listen, we're dealing with things because America has sown to the wind and is reaping the whirlwind. And yeah, we're frustrated and yeah, we're aggravated. And yes, we need to make our voice heard. There's no question about it. But listen, the interesting thing about Romans 13 is that those who bear the sword and those who occupy places of government are called God's minister. And there has been so much talk after the election that Christians ought to stay out of politics. Well, since when does God want his ministers to be non-Christians? Since when does God want pagans running his ordinances? He wants his people involved, right? And listen, we wouldn't be seeing the things we were seeing today if there were more Christians in high office. I'm, I'm not talking Christian by name. You know, there's countries today where, where you're born, it goes on your birth certificate, whether you're Christian or Muslim. That's not the kind of Christian I'm talking about. I'm not talking about family identity. I'm talking about born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, having discernment, Christians in this world. If they were in places of power, we'd have a different country. So I'm not saying, hey, let's sit around and wait for Jesus contemplating our navel on a mountain somewhere in Montana, building up water and ammo. That's not what I'm talking about. We need to be proactive. We are salt and light. Amen? Amen. But we can't let being salt and light turn us into angry citizens because we are not citizens of America. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And our... Actions and attitudes need to represent the kingdom we are ambassadors for. We are here to represent Christ. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Yeah, get mad. But don't live that way. Because the prosperity of the wicked is temporary. Yours is eternal. Somebody say amen. amen. And Father, we are grateful once again for your matchless word. Thank you for the wisdom of David. Thank you that you inspired him late in life to look back on life and say, you know, God is faithful all the way through. And all I endured and encountered, the wicked schemes that came to pass against me, you got me through them, even though there was moments of anger, frustration. And Lord, David looked back and saw the negative impact that uh, his actions had on his own life. 
The Lord help us to learn from the voice of experience and wisdom and most of all, the voice of the Holy Spirit who authored every word on every page of scripture. So help us, God, in times such as these, not to get carried away by the things that are emotional and cause our hearts and minds to wander off into constant states of frustration and fret and anger. But Lord, help us to dwell in the land and feed on your faithfulness and to do as we saw in Psalm 9, to talk about your all your great things that you have done. So help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on the prize in the midst of these tumultuous and, and, and even heinous times in which we now live. And we give you thanks that we can have an abundance of peace that is exclusive to those who know you and help us to seek after it and commit ourselves to pursuing it. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your most sacred and holy name. And all God's people agree by saying, Amen. Amen. Hey, there's a rest stop ahead. Amen. And it is eternal. And that is something worth focusing on every single moment of every single day. Amen.